Welcome to 242, podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, where we explore topics that are relevant to our lives as followers of the way of King Jesus. This is episode 10. I'm talking with Rebecca Kimball. Again, a lot of fun. We start with a question, why don't people think critically? We talk about political tribalism. Uh, Rebecca also gives a great counter example of consensus building across partisan divides, a project that she worked on directly. We talk a little bit about Rebecca's politics. Rebecca shares how to be faithfully present in a secular job. And we also talk a little bit about Buffalo's mayoral race. I hope you enjoy. All right, Rebecca, in your capacity as an expert, (laughs) why are people so dumb? I'm going to preface this by saying that this is not something I'm an expert in. And I think that you should start by sharing your statistic my about statistic. this. Well, my favorite statistic of all time. So my favorite statistic of all time is that 50% of all people are dumber than average. I think you should elaborate on I that should elaborate. a little bit. Well, I mean, it kind of like 50% of all things are less than average. So it's kind of a tautology, which is nice because it you know, has the benefit of being true, but also not really saying anything of value. (laughs) (laughs) But, but why, why I think it matters is particularly when you come across, which this may or may not have any relevance for what we're actually about to talk about, but when you come across really, really, really scary, bad ideas, Mm -hmm. people have a tendency to catastrophize that, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, can you believe that there's uh, I don't know, there's a Nazi in America or there's a Klansman in America or, you know, put it, put on the other side, you know, whatever, whatever it is. It's like, there's this really crazy, there's a flat, I met a flat earther. Can you believe that there's a flat earther? What's wrong with the world that somebody, you know, it's like, well, 50% of all people are dumber than average. Your that means that does help explain that. Right. Exactly. And, and 10% of people are really, 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 really dumb. Oh man. Right. And so when you get down to like the 0.01%, that's where you find the flat earthers and the Klansmen and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it just helps me to not catastrophize when I, when I come across really bad ideas. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. there's, there's just some dumb people out there and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that is helpful. Yes. <laughs> but you want to know my actual answer to this yeah. question. Yeah. And about- I mean, to be fair too, so I don't usually call people dumb, so... We don't want to be mean. We don't That's want we don't want to um, uh, stigmatize. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to be mean. The low IQ population that's out there. Oh my gosh. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I've been calling myself dumb for like the twenty minutes before this podcast. That, that's true. He has. I'll testify to that. All right. In so our practice for the conversation. So you actually had an answer to why are people so dumb, and it wasn't it wasn't actually dumb in the sense of like people who are just not super intelligent. It was more like dumb in the sense of people who are like, maybe their brains are capable of rational thought, but for whatever reason, they're really not engaging in rational thought. And so your response to why are people people so incapable of rational thought? Yeah, that one I'm a little bit more prepared to handle, although I'm still not an expert. So I'll leave that caveat. Pseudo expert, Rebecca Kimmel. (laughs) 
Um, well, okay. So when you when you initially asked me this question, the first thing thing that came to mind was people's tendency to simply ally themselves with their tribe, um, which tends to be a particular political ideology. And for several decades now, we have not prioritized asking people of different political persuasions to come alongside us and to see our point of view. We haven't done the hard work of trying to convince people. Mm. We simply ally ourselves with our tribe and say, we're right, you're wrong, and don't really engage in any additional thought. And I think that makes us dumber. I mean, we're not yeah. we're not doing the hard work of actually engaging with ideas when we simply fall back on what our tribe says. Yeah. Do you think, so I know, I know that's like the big answer that you just gave and we we certainly could talk more about that. Do you think that there are other things kind of connected to that or is that, that's like the. No, I think, I think there are other things connected. So I think particularly when we're talking about politics, which I said is the tribe that we tend to fall back on Mm -hmm. most regularly. I think we tend to present everything as a matter of principle. And when you believe that everything is a matter of principle, it's very hard to have a conversation Um, And it's even hard for us at this point to acknowledge that there might be other equally important principles that need to be on the table too. Yeah. Um, So I think it's, it's not just that we have, we have made our political tribe, our primary identity. It's that we have given so much weight to what our tribe believes. And we're, we're saying that what they believe is a matter of principle and therefore it, it, makes you look like a bad person if you back down or if you engage with the other side. Yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds dumb. It does. (laughs) It does. And, you know, it's not great for actually getting things done either. What what do you mean by that? um, The organizations and the individuals, in my experience, (laughs) who are most effective at actually creating change are the people who are genuinely able to engage with the other side and have a conversation with them. So, and this sort of goes back to the conversation that we had about criminal justice. The people that I most respect in this area are the people who are able to have what are sometimes very difficult conversations with corrections officers, with sheriffs, uh, with police officers, to make sure that they genuinely understand what the other side thinks, and that they're responding to that in a way that is constructive, rather than assuming that they know what the other side thinks and responding to that or not responding at all. So, and I'm just going to like pick on you a little bit with the microphone. You got to get a little little closer. closer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Get it right there. And then, but again, you just move it however you want. So you don't have to be uncomfortable. Um, So I would agree Mm -hmm. with your assessment, both that. So what I heard you say was a couple of different things. First of all, that we, we, we kind of turn our brains off or turn our kind of rational that like analytical side of our brains off Mm -hmm. um, largely because of um, ideological affiliation. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's really more about like, Hey, this is, this is my people. I want to belong to them. So like I already have answers. Why do I need to question anything? Right. Um, And then you also said that you feel like it's, it's largely political ideology that's driving a lot of that. Mm -hmm. You also said that um, we then aren't questioning any of the principles, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are just the principles that come with our our tribes. They're they're a badge to be worn right. instead of something to. And then also, I think I heard you say that that sometimes we kind of reduce the whole 
um, the whole, like our, our whole analysis down to like a single, it's like the whole world is explained by a single thing. Yeah. We have a really hard time holding two ideas in tension at once and thinking that that's acceptable. So sort of classic example of that right now would be, it's very hard for someone to say both black lives matter and police officers have a hard job. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's very seldom that you will find someone who will say those two things because again, neither political tribe allows you to say both. They say you have to say one or the other. No, for sure. And that I think makes it really challenging to have any meaningful discussions about what needed reform would look like. Yep. So I do wonder uh, in, in those four kind of like broad statements that I heard you point Mm -hmm. at that, do you think, so can you back up the claim that it is political affiliation that is the largest marker of identity for people in America? Because So I've heard that yeah. and I've seen some statistics that point at that, but then I've also heard people, people make other claims. I'm trying to remember who it was now. Yeah, some talking head. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll clarify that by saying I'm, I'm not thinking particularly of a statistic that has shown okay. that, but just generally speaking, and this is... This is your observation. Th- well, not even an observation. It's... um. As, as the world transitioned to using nation states as the primary way of ordering our collective life together, yeah. people's identity, which used to be really rooted in their religious affiliations or used to be rooted in dynasticism, right? Their, their allegiance to a particular dynastic line. Um, as those things disappeared and were replaced by the emergence of the nation state, people's collective identity really coalesced around the nation state. Yep. And we see that across the world, right? Yep. And in America, we see that in the way that people identify with political parties, which at, at its root is really an identification with the nation state, right? You identify with a political party because you have specific thoughts about what your nation state should be. Yeah. So not a statistic, just a historical observation. No, no, that works. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I've seen, I think the 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 first set of statistics I know I, I learned about them through Jonathan Hyde's work. I don't know if he generated them or not. Okay. Um, but just that when you measure worldview, mm-hmm. which I don't remember exactly how they were measuring it. It was probably like a series of questions, um, like kind of broad, broad set of questions, right. but that, Oh, we're going to get into our conversation about statistics. <laughs> you, um, you were going to get in there somehow. <laughs> I know, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, that when you measure people's worldview and then you break them down into different, like the kind of identity markers that we would think of. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you say, okay, we have these worldview questions and people who answer these questions in different ways, will break them up by, you know, gender and see how different, you know, how do men and women differ in their worldview, you know, break it up in terms of ethnicity or race. How does that skew people's, um, worldview, break it up in terms of politics, break it up in terms of religion. I can't remember. I think, I think, I think they did class, maybe education. I don't remember all of the different ones. Again, this was out of Heights work and, um, what they, what the statistics that I saw there were, it was, it was really marked actually too. I think a lot of people would probably predict without thinking about it, maybe that like race would be the biggest Hmm. differentiator or maybe gender. Um, but that, 
like far and away the biggest differentiator was political affiliation. Yeah, I'm not which, surprised. Right. Once you think about it, you're like, oh, well, yeah, of course, you know, because you're like, oh, well, black and white people are different. Yeah. But it's like, think about a black conservative and a white conservative and a black liberal and a white liberal. And right. you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like when we're talking about worldview, that it that does actually really drive people's perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And, I think that you're going to have to include some show notes and include the link Uh-oh, to that. Show notes. <laughs> All right. I got to make a note now to include show notes. That's right. Yes. Uh, Ryan Letterer, these show notes are for you. It's true. <laughs> so, um, well, but then I also, I, and again, this is where I can't remember, but I, I was listening to a podcast recently where somebody was specifically making the claim that um racial divides are the largest that was like but they but they didn't reference that it, it, they didn't get into it and i was like oh okay i don't know maybe the statistics that i saw maybe it's changed or uh no these were both fairly were recent both yeah okay. i mean i wouldn't imagine you'd see that kind of change in the space of a year or two so yeah well, I'd be interested in seeing that. So you'll have to put it in the show notes now or at least send it to me. <laughs> For all of you out there who are not a statistics nerds, right. Rebecca and I are sorry, but not really. <laughs> well, so, okay. So what were, let's see, the, there were some of the other things you had said. Well, so maybe we could get into some examples about some of this though, right? Yeah. So you, you talked about um, people are dumb because, um, I'll stop using that term, people people don't think critically because of their, their tribal affiliation. Um, could you give like a specific example? You don't, I don't mean a name. <laughs> so AK, <laughs> oh, but okay. like g- give some examples and it could be in your work or it could just be like what you see going on in our world where yeah. you're like, Oh yeah, like this is a, this is a place where people aren't really thinking critically because they're just wearing their, you know, the hat of their tribe or the Right. Um, so pretty recently, uh, a local organization that works in the area of criminal justice actually gave an award to someone at the holding center who mm. they've worked very closely with in order to get um, a variety of different types of programs into the holding center for folks who are going to be released to the community really soon. And the progressive pushback against that organization giving an award to someone who is employed by the holding center was pretty significant. Yeah. Um, and it was done really without taking the time to figure out why this person was important and why the organization felt the need to honor what they were doing essentially. Um, so I think that, and I think that's a good example, not just of what you were asking, but of how it precludes meaningful reform getting done. Yeah. I mean, so people are doing great work across political divides and we're going to punish them for it. Right. Right. Sounds really productive. Really productive. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the most recent example that I can think of. Do you have any? <laughs> uh, if I thought I, I'd probably have to think of some and then sanitize them. And then, <laughs> I don't know. You have to get your beeper out. <laughs> right. No, I didn't mean it like that. Like not, not because I'll use foul language. I meant because I, like I have to make sure I don't talk bad about certain people or, you know, like, but, um, yeah, I mean, man, I don't know. I just uh, pick a hot button topic that's in the news and I feel like that's what's going on. Oh, just read the comments in the Buffalo news about any sort of controversial article. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's whether you're talking about people's take on COVID or on race and criminal justice. Refugees or, from Afghanistan coming to right. Buffalo. That's been... 
that's elicited a lot of comments. Has it really? The Buffalo News. Yeah. Oh man, tell me. I don't think we want to go there. It'll just no. be too depressing. Were Were they contentious with each other, or were they all one sided? Or so I I didn't read all of them, but pretty one sided. Interesting. I think the people who tend to comment tend to on have the Buffalo pretty, News have, tend to have pretty strong. And these opinion. are people who are like strongly anti. Interesting. That's it. That's interesting on the Buffalo news. I guess there was, um, there, when, uh, Jericho road and Dr. Glick specifically, but several staff members went, um, to, uh, during the, the Ebola crisis. Mm. I don't, I don't know if you remember that or not, but there was a few articles in the Buffalo news about that and they got some serious blowback. Oh yeah. Even so I spent several years working at a program for refugees and immigrants. And there was an article in the Buffalo News about that program. And some of the comments were just horrific. On uh-huh. it. And these were not people who had necessarily even taken the time to read the entire article <laughs> or educate themselves about why Buffalo became a refugee resettlement city and how it's actually been something really positive for many Rust Belt cities that were seeing an enormous decline in population until they mm-hmm. became resettlement cities. Um, again, just not doing the hard work of engaging honestly with the people they disagree with. And at the end of the day, it's okay to disagree with someone, but, right. but do the honest work of figuring out why and have right. a legitimate reason for disagreeing. Right. For sure. I mean, I think that's, that's almost kind of like what I'm looking for all the time is right. somebody to disagree with me. Honestly, <laughs> check my receipts, you know, like see if I'm full of it. Well, you're comfortable with people disagreeing with you. So that works yeah. out well. <laughs> I probably would use stronger words. <laughs> you enjoy I know, it? I know you love me if you hurt me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Rebecca, you're you're pretty high on the combative scale, right? Oh, you're, absolutely. I think and you know, the last time I did an assessment about that, I was in like the first percentile. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the least likely to punch you in the face right. is Rebecca Kimball. That's entirely accurate. That's All right. I'm gonna pick a fight with you right now. <laughs> Well, so, um, yeah, so you had talked about uh, tribal affiliation kind of derailing or short-circuiting our ability to think critically. Um, You talked about that being political. So the example you gave is both of those. Um, But then you also talked about, like, maybe principles that are unwilling or that, like, we're unwilling to question some of these principles that are, they're they're dogma. They're like religious dogma almost in... in, because they're they're connected to our tribal identity. So what how did like can you give an example of that or maybe in the example you already gave like what does that look like there where it's like oh no these are the principles we don't question the principles we yeah. just assume them. So an example of this and I I find it helpful to think of this as you have one big idea and all of your other ideas have to be filtered through that one big idea. Okay. So for example, if you're someone that um believes that America is the new Israel, that's going to shape how you view many things that happen in our political life, right? Um, It's going to shape how you interpret them, how you respond to them, because you're stuck on that idea. Yeah. And it's not just the political right that does that. The political left also has the big ideas that they filter everything else through. Yeah. So So what's the opposite? Something on the political left? No, no. Like what's the opposite of... um, yeah, I, sh- I should I should ask a, a more a longer question. So there, there's clearly a problem with being unwilling to question uh, assumptions, principles, 
you know, when, when we get to a point where it's just like, no, my, like my fearless leader said this, I go along, you know, it's like, okay, there's a problem with that. Right. But it also seems like there's a problem with the opposite. Like there is a problem with question everything all the time. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't question everything at some point. I like that you're the one saying this. Okay. Question, Mr. Question everything all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I am that guy. Yeah. I'm like, let me, <laughs> but, but I mean, there are like, there are principles to which I hold and, um, and sometimes even unquestioningly, but not because I've never questioned them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like what, 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 what does it look what's like? What's a balance? Yeah. Right. Like from your perspective and even like, what's the process or procedure? You know what I mean? Like what, what do you think is like a real honest way of, uh, and again, you could talk about criminal justice cause that's a place where you've really engaged a lot and probably have seen a lot of the ways that political tribalism has actually, I would imagine from the right and the left and even just the gridlock that is produced by that. Mm-hmm has gotten in the way of some of the things that you've tried to work for. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, you know, why don't you talk more about that and talk more about either places where you've seen a healthy alternative Mm -hmm. or, you know, your vision for a healthy alternative (laughs) if you've never seen it. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot there. So I'll, I'll start by answering your initial question about what does the balance look like? Because I, I think that's really important because the reality is no one has the time or the energy to weed through everything to figure out what they're, stances on every single issue, right? just do right? whatever it's, Rebecca tells me to. There we go. Yeah, that's absolutely it's what you should do. way <laughs> easier. Um, and so you sort of have to go in with that expectation. There's just so much information out there, you're never going to be able to sift through it all. With that said, I think, and I think this podcast actually exemplifies it, is we are fortunate, particularly in our community of believers, to have people who specialize in different areas and really do have a lot of knowledge about particular subjects that they're happy to share with us. I mean, listening to Mark's two podcasts on art was really enjoyable and insightful and I learned a lot mm. and I know nothing about art. I mean, it's I to go, look over the shoulder of a <laughs> dummy who's looking over the shoulder of a wise artist. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm someone who I'll go to the Albright Knox because I know it's, you know, a cool thing to do, but do I have a deep appreciation for all of the paintings there? No, but I'm sure that if Mark did a tour for Buffalo Vineyard <laughs> people at the Albright Knox, that I would walk away having a much deeper appreciation. Yes. Mark, are you listening? <laughs> That's an idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, So I think we need to take advantage of the people in our circles who are people who we respect and we trust to have done that hard work and engage with them. I think that's really helpful. And I I know I have found that helpful. Um, Your second question was about a time when this has has worked and a time that it hasn't worked. I'll start with a time that it hasn't worked. Um, So last year, I think it was the beginning of last year, New York State passed bail reform. You probably remember when it was in the news. It was a hugely controversial topic. Um, And it was something that neither side was being completely fair, right? Okay. Um, So so that's already more than I really understand about it. But so (laughs) like unpack that a little bit. Okay. So I'm trying to think of the best way to frame this. So we all understand what, what bail is and the purpose of bail, right? You don't want someone who hasn't actually been convicted of a crime incarcerated until they are or aren't convicted, right? Um, The problem is that in practice, people who have money to pay bail have been able to get out and people who don't have money to pay bail end up sitting in the local jail. Right. That's problematic. And again, these are people who are accused but not convicted. So legally speaking, they haven't actually been 
convicted of a crime. Exactly. But exactly. we're taking away their freedom because right. they don't have the money to mm-hmm. pay bail. Yeah. And so rightfully, New York State recognized that this is an issue, mm-hmm. but that the the way that they went about solving it was not the most effective. And the reason it was not effective was because they didn't take the time to actually honestly engage with the other side. Um, and that's because if you have someone who's accused of murder, chances are good that there are going to be people in your community who actually do want the bail to be set at a price that it's difficult for that person to be out in the community until they are or aren't convicted. Right. Um, Bail reform sort of bypassed that conversation. So rather than taking the time to come up with a piece of legislation that was mutually agreed upon by people across the political spectrum, it was passed through the budget process. So it was signed into law through the passage of the budget bill. It's a bill everyone wants to get passed so that the government keeps operating. Right. Um, And after it was passed, there was a huge amount of pushback because people were pointing out the instances of someone who did something heinous, say. Now they no longer have to have bail, so they're out and they do something again. Yeah, right. So they point to the most extreme examples, right? They point to the outliers as an example of why there should be no bail reform at all. Right. But they're able to do that because we didn't have a conversation about why bail reform is needed. Right. Right. We didn't have that conversation about the fact that we have a lot of people who simply can't pay who end up spending months waiting for either the trial, which it is months in that case, yep. um, or a plea bargain, right? Which can still be months depending on right. how long it takes to get various pieces of evidence back from the DA's office and when the judge's docket is available. Um And so, of course, people on the left then also pointed to heinous examples of abuse within the former bail system, right? So they, a classic example was, um, they pointed to a case that took place on Rikers Island. There was a a young man who had been accused of stealing someone's backpack. He claimed that he was innocent because of the backlog of cases in that particular jurisdiction. It took two years for him to make an appearance before a judge. Yep. So he spent two years incarcerated for something that he hadn't done, right? And this young man eventually ended up committing suicide. Yeah. No, I remember, and, I don't know if I heard about this through you or somewhere else, but yeah. I remember hearing about this. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a huge story in the news at the time. So both sides of the political spectrum have examples of why, on the one hand, bail reform is needed. On the other hand, bail reform is awful. Um And what ended up happening was we just saw a legislative pendulum swing. So we have bail reform, people protest, part of bail reform um, is basically signed out of law. We have people protest that and it's just a constant pendulum swing, right? So this, (laughs) I'll say it, I don't know that we want to go in this direction, but uh, it seems to me like that is an example of of a different phenomenon as well. Not, not that it's not an example of what we are talking about, but that it's an example. It's, it's basically an example for why democracy will never really work. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, this is my theory. Um, and in that, this is turning into a radical podcast, right? Democracy. (laughs) You heard it here. ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) No, I'm a Christian. I'm not in favor of democracy. Same more. Well, I don't, I mean, like at best, it is a temporary stopgap until we have the best mm-hmm. monarchy ever. <laughs> yes. Right? Am I wrong? No, like you're isn't not that wrong. yeah, okay, good. We're all in favor of <laughs> King Jesus. 
I thought, yeah, if you're not a Christian, you should be afraid, very afraid. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> but if you are a Christian and you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm for democracy, then you haven't thought very deeply about your theology. Um, that doesn't mean that we might not like like it in comparison sure. to other options that alternatives. Yeah. Right. It is better than some options, mm-hmm. but it's clearly not the best thing. Right. And anyway, so that, but that what you have is if you're going to have to get, and it's obviously not everybody cause not everybody votes and that's not exactly even how our system works anyway. But if you're, if you're going to have to in some way, shape or form get the entire populace to sign off on legislature, then it's never going to be able to be very nuanced or thoughtful. I'm going to push back on you Okay, on that, all though. right, all so, right. So my counter example is the humane alternatives to long-term solitary confinement. Okay. Bill, um, which is the legislation that I was working on when I was working mm. as a community organizer. Are you trying to cure me of my cynicism, Rebecca? I am, yeah. All right. <laughs> so this bill is possibly the most nuanced criminal justice reform bill I have ever seen. Mm. And it's because the people who are writing it took the time to honestly engage with corrections officers, um, other staff at correctional facilities, people who were currently incarcerated in correctional facilities Mm. at that time and people who were formerly incarcerated. That's fascinating. So, so just to clarify, what I heard you say is that what, what took place is the people who were crafting that, that legislation either because there was enough people kind of coming together across the political spectrum mm-hmm. or because the people who did it were committed enough to to their cause that they were willing to gather voices across the mm-hmm. spectrum, that they actually did the work to come up with a policy that actually would have really broad appeal because it was actually a really good policy. Yes. I mean, this is a bill that passed. All right, I'm a little less cynical. <laughs> I believe it passed with super majorities in both the Senate and the Assembly. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I like that. That's a great story. It is a great story. And it's because the bill is so incredibly nuanced and it speaks to the very legitimate concerns of people on both sides of the issue. Yeah. Um. So... I can, I'll give you well, a right. Cause it, it, I mean, you have to do, you have to do that. You have right. to legitimize your political opponents mm-hmm. concerns. Yeah. And so the people on the people who are gun home for criminal justice reform were able to acknowledge that there are going to be times in the setting of a correctional facility that it is necessary to separate someone from the general population, whether for that person's own safety, for the safety of other incarcerated people, or for the safety of corrections officers. They were able to acknowledge that that is sometimes going to be a necessity. Corrections officers were able to acknowledge that putting that person in isolation is not the best thing for them, and in fact that it wreaks havoc on their mental, physical, and psychological health. And so they were able to come up together with an alternative and that alternative is what they call a residential rehabilitation unit. So the person is separated from the general population, but they are receiving services from other people for a required six hours a day. Yeah. And they're required to have an hour of recreation time. So for seven hours, they are out of that cell interacting with other people, mm. despite the fact that they have been removed from the general population due to safety concerns. That's one of the most nuanced (laughs) responses to that situation that I've seen. And again, people on both sides were willing to make um, exceptions. Like there there are some people who should not be put in solitary confinement at all. For example, pregnant women, postpartum women. Um, 
I'm trying to think of some of the other nuances of this, this particular law. Um, you're not allowed to be in the residential rehabilitation unit for a certain number of consecutive days without yeah. someone coming in and assessing whether you're allowed to go back to general population. Yeah. That's a built into that process. Um, but I say all this to say that it was an incredibly nuanced bill yeah. and it took a lot of time. So, yep. and this is, this is the problem, right? Um, they took the time to do the research. They took the time to win over people from other sides. Right. So the campaign that they waged to get this bill passed was really a campaign of public education. And so when I was working as an organizer, it was my job to go speak to people who were corrections officers and talk to them about this bill. Right. And at the end of the day, I might not totally have won them over, but we were at least able to have an honest conversation about it. Yep. And they were doing that across the state. And so you had people engaging with families of incarcerated folks. You had right. people engaging with corrections officers. You had people engaging at local congregations talking to them about this issue. And at the end of the day, it took... A decade. Yeah. Nearly, it was less than a decade, I guess. But it took a long time for this bill to get passed. But it was passed, and it was passed in a way that it'll actually stick, right? It was a standalone bill. It was signed into law. It wasn't a one-off statement as part of a larger budget package that can be taken out of law the next time the budget has to be passed. Um, so the way that they did it was intentional, and it will stick. Are you less cynical now? I, no, I am. Yes. <laughs> I, I stand by my cynicism to this degree. So uh, I can't remember what word I used, but I definitely used the word, so, so, some some to, totalizing word, you know, like <laughs> it's never going to work. And you're like, well, it actually, let me tell you about what I'm like. All right. So, but I, I will, I will say though, that I think democracy, even, even the limited democracy that we have, it definitely pushes in the direction that I'm talking about, which it makes it hard for, and, and, and that's actually by design and I'm not against it. Right. Because I actually am not in favor of a monarchy <laughs> Other unless, than unless is Jesus, Jesus is on the throne. <laughs> right. Yes. I don't want anybody else on the throne. So I'm happy to not have a monarchy and I would like to have, I mean, I believe in that idea of, you know, diffused and, um, uh, limited powers yeah. and, you know, checks and balances. Like I, I like that. Mm -hmm. I don't want there to be a single person or even a small group of people that can get their hands on the levers of power and do what they want, no right. matter how well-meaning they are, which basically means I actually want a system where it's not really possible to do much good. <laughs> where there's a lot of gridlock. Cause right. Cause then it's it. all right. That's what I want. That's <laughs> the perfect political system for Steve where nothing gets done because oh, at least man. nothing bad gets done. I don't know if nothing bad gets done by virtue of nothing getting done though. Well, there, there, so you're right. <laughs> yes. But, but I think in general, I still would prefer to have, uh, and I mean, it's not like we have a system where nothing gets done. Mm -hmm. We don't have complete and total gridlock. Right. Um, but I would way rather have a system where for our, for our po political engine, to actually move in a direction, it has to be so clearly, obviously good for the, like the vast majority of people that it's like, okay, well, this is something that everybody's in favor of. Right. Um, but even that scares me. I mean, that's, I don't like, yeah, I'm, I'm very cynical, <laughs> but you've given me a ray of sunshine. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> should, should we move back to another depressing topic? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What do you want to talk about? Well, so when you initially asked me to talk about 
why people are so dumb. Oh no, don't go there. <laughs> um, I want to, and this might push buttons, but I want to talk about how Christians do the same exact thing because I think that's really important. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Steve doesn't want to talk about that. <laughs> Look, we just hold our Bibles like so. Right. Yeah, definitely. We're good. Yeah, no. So, so, so I wanted to ask why are people so dumb and you want to ask why are Christians so dumb? Yeah, I do. Nah. All right. Good <laughs> is, that, question. is that allowed? Yes. It's okay. totally allowed. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Welcome so, to 242. <laughs> you know, we had a depressing part during our last one too. Right. Man, we're going to start to expect this. It's good. <laughs> um, do you have Prozac? <laughs> Welcome to. <laughs> Welcome to 242. Oh dear. Well, so I think it's really important for us to point out that Christians participate in the very same things that non-Christians do. Are you talking, are you saying that Christians engage in that tribal, like in the political tribalism or that Christians engage in other forms of tribalism or both? I would say both, but I want to focus on the political tribalism. Um, And I think we've seen this more, right? You've seen this with the rise of the moral majority. You've seen this with the rise of the, the Christian left. But as as cultural consensus has really declined in the United States, we've turned to law and politics to accomplish what we want to see happen. And by using law and politics, we have really closely allied ourselves with particular political ideologies. Um, and for believers, we tend to fall into one of three camps, right? And I'm, I'm stealing from James Davidson Hunter here, which is a book that several of us read, mm. I don't know, last year, I guess. Yep. Um, but he has a really astute analysis of this. And he talks about how... Did you mention the name of the book? Uh, the, I have to remember the name of the book. To Change the World. To yep. Change the World by James Davidson Hunter. Um, It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> excellent. Because we have those now. <laughs> um, so James Davidson Hunter starts off his book by talking about the three tribes that Christians fall into. And he starts by talking about the, the Christian right which tends to believe that America was founded as a Christian nation, that it's our our duty to order public life on earth on Christian terms. And then he moves into an analysis of the political left. And when he talks about the political left, he talks about um, this desire to realize the kingdom of God on earth and how that particularly comes across in the emphasis on freedom from poverty um, and solidarity among equals. And then he moves to Anabaptists, And he says that the third approach is really complete and total separation from the state. The state is bad, it's evil, and so we don't engage with the state at all. And he says that generally speaking, Christians fall into one of those three categories. So in other words, we're not offering an alternative, right? What we should be doing is offering a radical alternative that is so attractive to people that they want to know why, that they want to know more. And instead what we're doing is we are we're buying into these ideologies that already exist and red, we're simply red blue or opt out. Right. And yep. we're, we're essentially saying we're going to take our religious agendas. We're going to ally them with one of the, one of these and try to accomplish our religious agendas through the power of the state. Yep. Right. And James Davidson Hunter basically says with this posture, when we, when we have, so identified with the nation state that again, our primary identity is not coming from our, our religious convictions, right. From who we are in Christ, but from our identity in a particular political tribe, we really limit our ability to do effective evangelism. Yeah. And, and we've seen that, right. When you hear about Christians or Christianity in the media, right. What do you hear? 
right? Right. Well, and I think sometimes it is specifically evangelicals. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more broadly Christians. Right. But they still mean evangelicals. Right. Um, exactly. Which is the corner of the American church that has allied itself with the red, the red mm -hmm. side of the political spectrum. Yeah. And so when that is the image that people have of Christians and Christianity, no long, no wonder they don't want to engage with us, right? We're yeah. not doing anything. We're not offering anything different than what they already have. Yeah. And that's what, what Hunter says. And he actually says, until we figure this out and we figure out what the radical alternative looks like, then we need to basically disengage from politics altogether because we are um, so harming our evangelistic efforts by our type of engagement um, so he's, not he's ultimately it. going for the Anabaptist. Yeah, at the end, he is. But he says it's temporary, right? He says we need to temporarily take a, a step back from this and figure out how we can engage in a way that's actually helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and the way that he offers is what he calls faithful presence. So yeah. he says that Christians essentially need to focus on being faithfully present in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, in their communities, in their schools. Um, and they need to live a radically alternative lifestyle in those places that makes people ask why, right? That makes people question why they're different. Um, and I, one of the things I wish he had done in that book was really fleshed out more of what that looks like in the day to day. And that's where I think that John Stackhouse's book called why you're here is really helpful because yeah. he talks about sort of the practicality of living that out in a morally compromised world where living a radical alternative can be really challenging, right? Yeah. And I think he, he, he does flesh it out in a way that's helpful. So that's a resource that I, I would recommend. Um, so if you uh, like to read books. Yeah, you've got, got two, two for you. <laughs> um, but I think we as a body of believers need to be having conversations about what being faithfully present in our various spheres looks like so that we can learn from one another and learn what each other is doing and also encourage each other along the way because it is it is hard to be a single believer in a workforce right i yeah. mean and that's a it's reality that many people in our congregation i sure i am right. sure experience on a daily basis and the other thing and this is actually i think it's from a sermon that you preached on nehemiah uh -oh. a few months ago <laughs> don't go quoting me we'll get in trouble we'll see if i have the have the book right cuz i couldn't remember the larger context but i did remember the point so i should mm. you know I should get points for that. <laughs> um, you talked about how Christians are sort of naturally divided between people who are really good at um, evangelism, like telling people about Jesus, mm -hmm. and people who are really good at being present and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. And you said one is not better than the other, but what you have to do is an intention is intentionally make friends with the people who have the strength that you do not have yeah. so that you can learn from them. Um, and I, that has come to mind several times since then, but it, it came to mind um, several sermons later when Dave Ely was preaching okay. and he shared a story about, Oh, I forget the details, but he had had to call Verizon or <laughs> yep. AT&T or something. Right. <laughs> yep. And I remember the story. <laughs> yeah. Ends up talking to a young guy who, um, his girlfriend had just had a baby and he was really excited about it. He's talking to Dave about it. And Dave hangs up the phone and tells Donna and Donna says, well, did you tell them to get married? And, um, Dave said no. And the next day he has to call and he ends up talking to the same guy. Right. Yeah. And, and he says, oh, you know, I've really found that I've been able to love my wife best by 
by marrying her, by making the decision to marry her. And I just thought to myself, what an example of two people who maybe have giftings on opposite ends of that spectrum, but who are able to encourage each other. Um, And I just thought that was a beautiful example several weeks after you had just given that sermon. Well, that itself is an example. I gave the point, but I didn't give the illustration. (laughs) Dave did. That's right. (laughs) But I, I think that we need to be we need to be thoughtful about ways to yeah. have those conversations with people in our community so that we can encourage each other and sometimes challenge each other to do the things that we're not naturally gifted in, but are really important Yeah, because many of us don't have two believers in the workforce who have those two different giftings and you sort of have to learn the other one. Yeah. Right. So I definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about how that flushes out for you in your, your work environment. Um, but I, can, can I ask you about your politics? Can yeah. we do that in, on, on, with a microphone in your face? Sure, that's fine. Yeah. So w- are you red? Are you blue? Or are you Anabaptist? Or are you something <laughs> like where, you know, like that's so those, that's Hunter's ma- matrix. For, yeah, that's but Hunter's I mean, matrix. how would you, how would you talk about your um, kind of your, where you're at politically? And yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's a story there. I don't know. Yeah. There, so there is. I'm happy to talk about that. Um, so I grew up going to a very conservative um, Christian school. I'm laughing because this has been a joke. <laughs> this for a has long been time. an ongoing joke. So I like to tell Steve that I um, I, I got to read the light and the glory, um, right. which is, you know, the true story of America's founding. Right. By uh, Jesus. By Jesus. Exactly. Yes. We are the new Israel. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to take that out of context and it would be bad. <laughs> Here at the vineyard, but we believe... <laughs> We believe in Jesus, the first American. <laughs> oh man. So that was, that was the context that I grew up in. Um, I will say that I, I grew up in a family that I think was much more willing to have those hard conversations. Yeah, no, your dad strikes me. As, I mean, I've had a few. Yeah. You've had a few interactions with right. them. Yeah. Um, where we were able to talk about these things in a much different way than they were presented at the Christian school where he taught and where I went to school. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, so that was interesting. I moved to Buffalo. And you were like, so when you were in that school, it was like, well, this, this is just the truth and I've accepted it. Or was it more like, these people are silly, but I'll just <laughs> hang out with them anyway. Yeah, it was some of the latter. So I have a pretty distinct memory of it. So did that make you, would you have described yourself more as a progressive person when you were there? Definitely it- not progressive, but I, I was much more willing to ask questions and engage. And sometimes gotcha. people, sometimes teachers didn't really like my questions. So you were red or blue, you were like pink. <laughs> yeah, I was pink. I was That's pink. right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so I moved to Buffalo for grad school and a very different context than where I grew up. Um, it was the first time that I lived in a situation where there were people in my neighborhood who were living in poverty. There were people in my neighborhood who had um, been incarcerated there were people who were refugees from other countries. It was just a completely different context. And that really did change how I saw a lot of issues. It changed mm-hmm. how I saw the criminal justice system. It changed how I saw um, refugee resettlement, things that I either hadn't thought of or thought I knew a lot about and had pretty formed opinions <laughs> I have on. very strong opinions exactly. about this. Exactly. Tell me about your facts. Oh, I don't need facts <laughs> to have strong just, opinions. Exactly. Yes. Um, so coming to Buffalo has been really helpful and has really stretched me. And I would say where I've landed is 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 sort of in the middle. So mm. it's really important to me that like purple. <laughs> I mean, that's legitimate question. Yeah, yeah. I would say probably purple. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not pink, not light blue, 
I don't know. I don't know how yeah. colors work. But. I would say I would say purple. <laughs> I think it's really important to look at all of these issues and genuinely try to understand the other side, um, and to approach them with a whole lot of nuance. And it's yeah. not something that a lot of people are willing to do. But I, I think it's a, I think it's important that if you're going to engage in in these sorts of conversations, that you have to be able to present the other side's view as sympathetically as they portray it themselves to make sure that you have genuinely understood it. And I think the process of going through that helps you genuinely understand it and see some of where they're coming from, right? Yep. Um, you've heard the term steel man? No. Oh, you haven't? That's, it's what you just described. So oh, you've heard okay. the term straw man. Yeah. Right. So where you take somebody's argument and then you like turn it into the dumbest possible <laughs> argument right. and then you defeat it, that's mm-hmm. to straw man it. So the opposite would be to take their argument and maybe they didn't even give the best of their own argument and you could actually make a better argument for their side. And right. so that would be to steel man it and then to engage with it, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Which yeah. is what you just said. And when I take the time to do that on basically any issue, I come out in the middle. Like I can I can legitimately see where both sides are getting part of it right and where both mm. sides are getting part of it wrong. And yeah. so it actually does make it very difficult for me to decide um, because legislation is not that nuance right. because political candidates are because not that nuanced. Because democracy doesn't work, <laughs> <Right>. Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly when you're talking about primary elections where right. you're catering to the most extreme of either political party, it's not that nuanced. And so I really do struggle with mm-hmm. in those sorts of scenarios. And I s- try to spend a lot of time researching and thinking through um, who I'm going to vote for, what pieces of legislation are on the table. But there's really no easy answer there. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, w- I want to ask more questions, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> I was going to ask you who you're voting for in the mayoral election. I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Because I really do. I You brought up the, um, d- depending on how this conversation mm-hmm. goes, we might come back to some of that stuff. But, <laughs> sure. But I, you brought up, uh, so that the idea of uh, Hunter's faithful presence, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. you know, you, you talked, you, you referenced a lot about the workplace. I mean, there's other ways that you could think about faithful sure. presence, but definitely the work is one, uh, mm-hmm. one very big one. Um, and you have worked in lots of settings mm-hmm. where I'm sure that there are at times other Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like my understanding of your workplace, particularly now, but, and, but even in the past has been that you were often kind of like, Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or, but also kind of like, Oh, I didn't know that those still existed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What, like what is, and, and I, I, I would say that probably lots of people in our church. So mm-hmm. a lot of the people listening here, they're probably, they probably have had those kinds of experiences, oh, you sure. know, like even, so as a pastor, I don't have that experience, obviously, <laughs> right. but like I've worked in other jobs mm-hmm. where that was like similar kinds of experiences, but what, so like what it give, give some context of what that's like for you describe a little bit of what that is. Yeah. So I spent a number of years working for a Christian college and no longer work for the Christian college. I work for an organization that has no religious affiliation. Um, and that it was a transition, but it was actually not a huge transition, which I find interesting. Um, (laughs) yeah. What was the same? Yeah. So in my previous job for the, the Christian college, I was actually the only full-time college employee 
who was at the particular program. And okay. so it just has pretty much stayed the same transitioning to, to working for a, a non-religious affiliated employer. But in both of those contexts, what has been really important to me is um, to acknowledge and appreciate how the the people I am working with who are not believers are very much working to bring about shalom, whether okay. they know it or not. And that's something that John Stackhouse points out in in his book that I mentioned earlier, Why You're Here, um, that we have to be able to, 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 like I said, acknowledge and appreciate that there are non-believers who are doing just incredible work right. and that we should be allying with them to do that incredible work. No, and no, 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 no. <laughs> we should throw rocks at them in the name of Jesus. Oh, is that your approach, Steve? <laughs> That's what the first American taught, taught me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. But please forgive me if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> we'll have Mark editing some <laughs> right. things out. <laughs> right. Uh, no, you shouldn't throw rocks at people. Yeah, that is that I agree. I affirm what you just said. I just had to be silly. Well, and I think sometimes we are reluctant to do that. Why do you think we are? Are you reluctant to do that? I don't, I hope not. <laughs> but I think that there can it was be the a, generous royal. We. <laughs> that's right. I think that there can be a tendency to be reluctant because we want to be the ones doing that work. Okay. Yeah, so, no, that's, that's fair. Yeah, I think we feel a sense of ownership, right? Like we're the ones who are supposed to be bringing God's shalom to earth. Yeah. And how can other people who don't even believe in God be contributing to that? And yeah. I think that they can. And that in instances where they can, we should absolutely ally ourselves with them and do that work together. Yeah. And I think that when you're doing that work together, it can open up really good opportunities for conversation. Man, so there's this total sidebar, um, and this actually wasn't even in the context of a Christian and um, more of like secular folks. It was yeah. it was a, across it was with Muslims, but mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I remember hearing this this guy. He, he's uh, the context; it doesn't matter. But basically, he was going to this Muslim guy to serve him mm -hmm. because the work that he was doing was really good, okay, and he believed in it. Yeah. But he would, he basically was saying like, you're, you're like the best Christian pastor that I know. And you're like <laughs> discipling these kids and I'm going to come support you because like what you're doing. And like the Muslim guy was like, you're crazy, but I'll take your help. You know, <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> but that, and I mean, they had, I don't know, they, these guys worked together for like 15 years. So it, they had a long, long working relationship, yeah. but it was like that. It's like, Hey, maybe, maybe what you're doing is better than what I could do. Mm -hmm. And the best thing that I can do in the name of Jesus as, as a Christian for, for my witness is to just come alongside and help you doing what you're doing. Exactly. Cause you're bringing the kingdom better than we can. Right. Right. And we have, yeah, we have to be able to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. All right. That doesn't sound dumb. <laughs> that <laughs> well, sounds that's good. smart. <laughs> you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen, getting smarter with Rebecca Kimball. That's what we'll call this we'll title. Call it getting smarter, smarter. Getting smarter with Rebecca Kimball. Well, I, I wanted to title it stupid people, but I knew that Mark would never let me do that. <laughs> But we've, we found a better title. There we go. Getting Smarter with Rebecca Kimmel. I'm going to put he, that in the I was going to say he's even typing it, so it might stick. <laughs> <laughs> I, we'll see. So, um, okay. So seeing people around you that are really w laboring for and even effective at producing the kind of world in, in small and in big ways that God wants and that we should want. And yeah. so partnering with them. Um, yeah, what... Well, what are some, so that's, that's cool, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's some challenge in that, but that's actually pretty cool. 
what are some of the hard things about um, being the the lone Christian in an environment like that? Yeah, so I think at first it can be difficult to know how much to say about your faith. Um, so people would ask what I was doing after work or doing this on is, a Saturday I should tell morning. you that Becky goes to work with a clerical collar on. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that would <Yeah>. be so <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, so for example, people might ask what I'm doing on a weekend. And well, is it okay to say I'm getting together with my friends from church who also like reading books? Or am I just going to book group, right? Mm-hmm. Like two different ways to frame that question or frame that answer. Right. And Well, Jesus told me I should do this <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> and... One of the things that has happened is that I've been at my current employer for longer is I've just been more open about it. And I yeah. waited probably a year until people knew who I knew who I was. They knew, you know, my work ethic. They knew that I was a pretty soft spoken person. You I'm just not going to get the, in your face light about and things. The glory on the desk. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> and I've actually talked to my coworkers about the light and the glory. Do they know it? Um, yeah. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, if it's, if you have done any research on what the Christian right thinks, um, you have probably huh. come across the light and the glory. And some of my coworkers have done that the, research. The Christian right thinks. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so we've had some really great conversations, particularly as I have been, I think, more open about, oh, I'm, I'm going to him sing tonight, or I'm going to Bible study tonight, or I'm going to my book group on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and it's, it has opened up some neat opportunities for discussions. Yeah. And I think there are conversations that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't willing to be right quite as open. What um yeah, is there okay, actually I want to ask a different question. What how do you think they perceive you? Oh, I have no idea. You gotta have some idea. <laughs> I know they they say that I'm a diplomatic person. Okay. So I, I which is interesting. <laughs> um so it's interesting because Steve knows that I'm like 98% agreeable according mm-hmm. to the, the which big is five. the definition of diplomatic <laughs> but diplomatic in that I can also push oh yeah okay um I've seen you push it I would imagine that in a in a workplace environment where like your job depends on you pushing yes. at certain things that you're even more pushy yeah. than you would be in right. just social settings and actually one of the things that I have really appreciated about um my my coworkers, my boss in particular, is that they have encouraged that. And yeah. so they've put me in situations where they think they need someone who's going to be diplomatic and said, yeah. you'd be really good at this. We'd like you to do this. That's cool. Um, or said, you know, we actually really want to hear what you have to say because we know that it's going to be well thought out. Mm. And we know that you have a tendency to be quiet. So we're going to intentionally ask you to say something. And so I would say that I have appreciated their very intentional efforts to draw me out in ways that I'm not naturally inclined to be drawn out. Yeah. But I mean, do you like, do you have some sense of how they perceive you as a Christian and that, that part of who you are and how that affects the way that they see you? No. And that's probably because I I haven't had enough discussions with them about it. And so they know that I'm religious. That's probably how they would phrase it. right? Right. But I don't know that I have explained what that means you're one of the good ones (laughs) we hope right (laughs) um and i think that that's something that could happen you know as i'm there longer and get to know people better yeah but it's not something that's happened yet and that's fine yeah yeah Yeah. hmm all right i don't know is there more there 
Well, so yeah, what like what you're shaking your head. Go ahead yeah. and say whatever you want to say um, before I ask any more questions. So ex- I was trying to think of an example of this. They had asked me, this was several months ago, maybe, maybe a year ago now, <laughs> um, to do a presentation about racial issues in Buffalo. So sort of the, the history of segregation in Buffalo. And one of the things that I had said during this presentation is that it's really important to be able to have these conversations, but it's really important to, to be intentional about how we're framing them. Um, and I, I gave a few examples. I said, you know, when I'm talking to folks from the community that I grew up in about criminal justice reform, I don't start naming off statistics or talking about stories that prove my point. I try to give them a book. <laughs> um, and the books that I mentioned last time, Just Mercy, The Sun Does Shine, um, Tattoos on the Heart, those are all books that I have given people yeah. in my community that I grew up in in order to to have those conversations. And I had a number of coworkers reach out to me afterwards and say, we really appreciate that. Like, we actually want to take that approach with people who we haven't been able to have these difficult conversations with. Right. Um and that was really neat. So I had a number of coworkers who read Just Mercy, and we had some interesting conversations about that. Um, and again, those are times when you can talk about very Christian concepts yep. without getting into the weeds of Christianity, right? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's one approach. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, what was the question I was going to ask? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I know. Now I remember. So... And I mean, you definitely are an expert in that you're doing it, but also I don't know that anybody's ever an expert on this. I don't think so. (laughs) And by, by the, this, I mean like being faithfully present in your work. Right. So, so like in the, in one sense, you're an expert in another sense, nobody is. So you're not. You're always learning. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, so don't, you know, don't, don't take this too seriously, but, but like to the degree that you would give advice to other Christians who are working in places like where you're working and it's like, man, this is like. Like do this, here's what's hard, you know, struggle through or don't do this or I don't know. You know what I mean? Like what are, what are some things you would say, man, these are some lessons I've learned along the way or some advice that I would give. Yeah. I think you have to really wait until people have seen your character Mm. to be able to have any of those deep conversations. Right. And so it was really important that people there know who I am as a person. Um, before I started sharing about what I do outside of work when it comes to church related things. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there is understandably, I think a public perception about evangelicals. Right. So when I say I go to a vineyard church, right. Wait, 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 wait. I just want to clarify. Yeah. So you're outing yourself as an evangelical. Yeah. All right. There we go. You heard it here, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen. I'm just messing with you. No, when they asked what church I go to, I'm very happy to say I I go to a vineyard church. No, we're evangelical. We all voted for Trump. No, I actually clarify at that point and I say, I want to make a few clarifying comments about this before you start thinking things. I know you guys all listen to NPR and so you think that everybody who's an evangelical voted for Trump, but that's not how it works. But I will say it was not until I felt like they knew who I was as a person that I was willing to say, oh, I go to an evangelical church. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that go over? It was fine. Yeah. They were just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You're one of the good ones. But I do think, yeah, it's really important to to prove who you are as a person yeah. before you have those conversations. And then I think once you do that, you can have those conversations, right? Yeah, for sure. And I'm certainly not a not someone who's going to 
push Christianity on people. Right. <laughs> I, but I am very happy to have conversations yeah, if people want to right. talk about it. And I want people to know that I'm, I'm willing to have those conversations and that's sort of the approach I take. Yeah. But there are also people who are gifted in other ways, right? And who are very comfortable having more directly, more direct conversations that are more evangelistic in nature, right? The Donna Ely's of the world who are truly right. gifted in that. Tell them to get married. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's not my gifting and that's okay. Um, I've got but a plan I, for your life, says Rebecca Kimball. <laughs> never. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I need to learn from the Donna's of the world. Right. Um, and the Donna's of the world can can learn from us, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it goes both ways. Yeah, that's cool. Oh man, there was a question I had for you in there, and I totally lost <laughs> it again. Hmm. Okay. Well, so who are you voting for in the mayoral election? <laughs> who am I voting for? Yeah. Can I give my extremely nuanced answer? Yeah, that no, would totally. take a lot of time. Yeah, that's. I mean, I. So, I I don't. Yeah, I I guess I have I I haven't really thought to like I I know what I was gonna do and then we didn't get to vote because we literally were getting on a plane for that <laughs> yeah so we didn't get to, we tried to and we couldn't vote and then I don't know that I really thought about it much okay. since then interesting I mean I just see the signs and they make me laugh <laughs> and your son does an analysis of this he hasn't in a yeah. while yeah oh, but man. we need an updated know, one right. come on I haven't I haven't asked him about that for it's just for people who are listening so. Uh, let's see. How did it go? I don't remember how we were talking about it, but it came up at book group one Saturday. Right. Yeah. But uh, one of my kids, basically his take was that um, all of the white people in our neighborhood are for India Walton mm -hmm. and all of the non-white people are for Mayor Brown. And this was just based on like what he saw of yard signs in people's yards. So this is his scientific poll. <laughs> Um, but there was more to it. There was more analysis. I'm trying to remember what he said. Oh, that's what the part I remembered. So I don't know if you shared the full analysis. Yeah. Something about like Byron Brown must like really help the refugees, but India Walton really likes to help white people. Something like that. <laughs> oh, I don't dear. remember what it was. It wasn't exactly that, but oh, man. it was something like that. It, I just was like, well, all right, that's like a 13 year old's take on <laughs> politics. That was really cool. But then when I shared it with you guys, you guys all thought it was great. Yeah. So. It was, it was really entertaining. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. So my long answer um, oh man, I don't even know where to start because I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> yeah. So I have um, some pretty deep reluctance about Byron Brown. Mm -hmm. um, I have some some concerns about relationships with developers, um, relationships with people who have a lot of money and thus a lot of say in, and in not just politics. that he has these relationships, but that they might have or a do sway. have mm -hmm. some sort of a corrupting influence on yeah. you. So that that's a significant concern. For and me. you don't have to get into details if you yeah. don't want to, or just for time's sake, but like you would, you would point at some things that you've actually seen. Not yeah, just there like, was a, a good um, investigative post article about this not too many months ago that gave some, some specific examples. Um, yeah. And so I find that deeply concerning. Um, I also have had enough interactions with City Hall just as a resident of Buffalo trying to get information to know that it's very difficult to get information and information sure. is often very out of date yeah. <laughs> or not accurate at all. Um, and I also, when would I was... Would you see that as a function of Byron Brown or just a function of... Bureaucracy in general? It's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I could attribute it to him directly, but it's an observation. Um India Walton is a better bureaucrat. Uh, we're going to get there. <laughs> um, 
And when I was working as a community organizer, it was very difficult to get Byron Brown to even sit down and have a conversation. So when we were working on that, that bill, the Humane Alternatives to Long-Term Solitary Confinement Bill, we were able to get folks in the county to have conversations with us. Very difficult to get anyone from City Hall. Interesting. Um, and so I think... Fun fact, yeah. the son that gave that political analysis, he actually got his picture taken with Byron Brown when he was like five years <laughs> oh, old. that's funny. I'll tell you that's the story funny. later. Anyway, keep going. Um, so those are some of, some of the things that concern me. Mm. With that said, the city of Buffalo has not burned down <laughs> during right. his administration, right? Like the city is functioning. Um, he has the administrative experience. He has the managerial experience. He's got cushy relationships with all these rich people. <laughs> cushy relationships <laughs> with rich people. Um, and so there's there's obviously some comfort in that, right? Someone who's been doing the job for a long time and, and sort of has it under their belt. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, going to India. <laughs> One of the things that concerns me about her is that she doesn't have that experience. And so I would hope that she would surround herself with people who do have that level of bureaucratic experience um, and, and listen to their counsel. Um, one of the things that also concerns me, and this is something that I, I simultaneously find attractive and concerning. Um, the attractive side is that she has, she has a lot of good ideas. Um, so India was the executive director of a community land trust in the fruit belt that she, she founded. She did a lot of research on evidence-based models for community land trusts that existed in other parts of the country, um, was able to execute it here. And in the process that, that involved really working hard <laughs> to win over common council. Okay. And I, I really respect her for that, um, yeah. because it was not difficult to get common council council members to agree to that idea and run with it. And she did the hard work of winning people over. You said it was not difficult. It, no, it you was. meant it was difficult. Sorry, yes, it yeah. was difficult. Yeah, it was very difficult. Yeah. And I really respect the the hard work that she did to accomplish that. And I like some of her, her ideas in other areas yeah. um, that are... I mean, the national narrative is that she's like a, you know, crazy commie Marxist, <laughs> right. which is either great or horrible, depending, <laughs> depending on which on side. Depending on your it, view, yeah. right. <laughs> um. So I like her ideas. I like some of the policies. So you're a crazy that she, commie Marxist. I mean, obviously, that's exactly what I'm saying here. <laughs> you said you were purple. What's going on? <laughs> I said I like some of her ideas. All right. Um, <laughs> um, but one of my concerns is that as someone who is very progressively minded, will she, if she is in a position of power, be able to continue doing that hard work mm. of reaching across the political spectrum and reaching yeah. those compromises? No, that's... that's um, <laughs> and that that's honestly my biggest fear. So mm. if I if that was not something I was concerned about, I would be much more. Yeah, you should all you should all give her a try. Right. <laughs> that's a, I mean, so kind of what I heard you say is that your concern about Byron Brown is that he is not ideologically driven enough that he's willing to just kind of like maybe use his office in ways that he shouldn't. And with India Walton, that she's so ideologically driven that she might actually not be willing to work with people that she needs yeah. to. Yeah. yeah and so I have concerns about both. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is that helpful? I don't know. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> no. I mean, I read through before um, before the, the primary election, I read through her platform. Yeah. And then I also read through Byron Brown's platform on the <laughs> yes. internet, which didn't exist. It didn't exist. And I was yeah. like, well, that's cool. He's like, look, I'm just here. So right, exactly. I know you're going to vote for me. That didn't work out so well for him. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, he didn't even need to actually have a, a list. He just had to do something, but yeah, that, that was interesting. But yeah, I mean a lot, like I think probably just percentage wise, there was like 30 or 40% of her platform. Like this is great. Mm-hmm. And there was probably like 40% where I was like, yeah, whatever. And yeah. then there was like 30% where I was like, oh, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. And it's hard when you're running against someone who has no platform at all. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> And, well, and that's the other yeah. thing. It's like a lot of the stuff on our platform, it's like, yeah, you're not going to touch any of this is the mayor of well, a city. So that's the other thing. Is there a realistic understanding of what the mayor can actually accomplish? Yeah. Um, and I think, so some of those things that you were probably more concerned by, my response to that is, well, <laughs> it's not actually within the purview. So I didn't, that I didn't know. And I don't know enough about city yeah. politics or even just city governance to understand. So she, what was it? Uh Right. One of the things that I thought was really, really just a poorly designed idea mm-hmm. um, was the um, the immediate uh, placing on um, leave without pay for any police officer who's been accused of any kind of um, uh, abuse of power. Right. Which I don't know if the mayor would have the power to do that. So I don't think so. I think that's okay. something that would have to be approved by common council. Gotcha. Okay. And so that's a situation where I look and I think, is there a chance that common council would run with this? Sure. Do I think that chance is very high? No. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I think that there, there are, that's why we have checks and balances, right? right. Yeah. And it's the same in, in local government as it is at the federal level where you have those checks and balances built in. And so I'm, and this is, you know, laying my cards on the table, I'm, I'm more likely to say, let's give India a try, mm. knowing that there are these sorts of protections in place yeah. and, and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, because I would be interested in seeing how these new ideas could be potentially executed. Yeah. Um, I mean, the things that I like was the most intrigued by was around police reforms, mm-hmm. which a lot of the, like, I, th- I think police needs a lot of reform. Oh, absolutely. Um, and a lot of what she said, I was like, yeah, like this mm-hmm. is what we need. Yeah. That one, I was like, oh, that's like, does, that's like a grenade going off in the city. Like that's not a good idea. Right. So you're basically telling the police that you're coming to get them. And that doesn't seem like a good idea. Well, and so some of the things that concerned me have concerned me. She has, at one point she was quoted as saying, as using the phrase defund, defund the, the police. police. Right. And I found that very concerning because that to me um, exemplified an unwillingness to listen to the other side yeah. and work across political aisles. And Rebecca, so- you just brought this topic up at one fifteen <laughs> into our conversation. Oh man, I'm sorry, Steve. Mm. <laughs> well, you know what? Everyone can um, go to Nickel City right. Forum tonight, except people are going to be listening yeah, to this week's later. This for, so. yeah. Okay. Right. We'll have to have another conversation about yeah. police reform. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that, so it's, it was one of the things, I didn't bring it up because we already had some ideas, but it was one of the things that I thought would be fun to talk to you about. Um, I I have lots of strong opinions without facts and you have lots of facts. So I thought we could. <laughs> I don't have as many facts about police reform as I no, do I, about um, correctional criminal, facilities yeah, right. though. <laughs> but you have, so well, I have my own inside knowledge of the criminal justice system. <laughs> yes, as we learned last time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but I mean, you do too. So, and I think, um, yeah, so I, that would be a fun conversation. And I also know that there's this Nickel City Forum tonight yeah. that I'm unfortunately not going to get to go to. Well, we'll give you the 
the spark notes right. edition. Yeah. Well, so maybe, maybe, um, we can do this again and tackle the, this will be the defund the police with Rebecca. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah. That would be fun to, to tackle because it's, it is, um, so the libertarian in me wants to defund the police. Like that's, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me actually right. when you frame it that way. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where my gut's at. But then, man, it's just way more complicated than that. Yeah, it's really complicated. And it does concern me that a mayoral candidate would, would use that phrase and not flesh out what she means by it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So I think I think I'm pretty nuanced on the mayoral race. Yeah. <laughs> I really do have pretty strong reservations and about both candidates. And I'm slightly more enthusiastic about one this is how democracy works <laughs> yeah it yeah. gives and you two candidates that you don't want yeah and you have to pick one yeah yep it's good i know i know a thousand people that i would love to be my mayor oh yeah i've told a few of them they should run mm. <laughs> no takers though nope yeah the wise people would never run for office it's true that's true well i don't know are we done i think so i think we made it through so we we've, we've Clearly answered the question, why are people dumb? Absolutely. <laughs> so the one answer, that one word answer, right. ideology. Ideology, right. yeah. But we've also given some people, given people some um, tools to get smarter. We hope. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You made me less cynical. Okay, that's good. I count that as a win. Yeah. Any day that I make you less cynical, <laughs> I good. count as a win. <laughs> that's, that, that's true, actually. <laughs> there are a few people in my life who like basically see that as their job. I'm going to make trust Steve in. trust in the goodness of humanity just a little <laughs> bit more today. I, I'd like to ask who some of these people are. I mean, I think my wife does that okay, for sure. That. So I had, I've had this, con- not about these topics, mm-hmm. but so <laughs> Trish Baker, oh, I, yeah. I said something to her once. It was kind of in passing about we were, she, she brought up something or I brought up something and then somehow it, we started talking politics a little bit, but it was like, in, it was like a short conversation and I said something and she's like, oh, oh, no. Like, that's like <laughs> way too cynical for anybody who loves Jesus. That's not exactly how she said it, but that's basically what she said. That's and I was great. like, all right, you're right, Trish. I'm sorry. I repent. I'm, you know, glad that you have these people speaking into your life, Steve. Yes. So, and she's done that more than once. Yeah. Like she, I, well, I don't even remember what the sermon was, but I said something the other day. And she's calling me on my cynicism. Thank you, Trish. I love you. <laughs> No, yeah. So I have people like that in my life. That's a good thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, this was really fun. Yeah, Thank you was. very much for this. There's a trend. These episodes are getting longer slowly. Yeah. I know. And I'm not usually a talker. You are a talker. <laughs> you get me going. All right. Cool. Awesome. Thank <laughs> All you, right, Rebecca. Thanks, Steve. Bye. Two Forty Two is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. Learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening.